Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Bi-Weekly Report dated August 9th, 2022. I'm Phil Adler. What do current levels of household debt portend for the economy and for investors? Confluence Investment Management Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady joins us to discuss the path consumer debt followed to arrive at the level where it's at today and where it fits in the investment equation. I'm old enough to remember when consumer debt was something to be avoided, when credit cards were objects that were very carefully handled, and when home equity loans were an oddity. What led to the explosion of consumer credit in America? Funny you should mention that, Phil. I remember that too. It says more about us, I suspect. In the mid-1970s, when I was an undergraduate, I was a full-time retail employee as well. And my bank, in a shocking development, issued me a bank credit card. None of my friends who were in college received such a thing. It gave me celebrity status among my peers, at least until the $300 credit limit was hit. As the Reagan revolution brought deregulation and globalization to the economy, inequality rose. Now, if the U.S. was not the global hedgeman, that problem would have been only a domestic issue. But part of being a global hedgeman requires that the U.S. provides the reserve currency to the world. The best way for foreign nations to acquire dollars is by running a trade surplus with the U.S. But to do that, the U.S. needs robust consumption. Inequality means less income for the majority of American households, and that factor undermined the process of supplying dollars to the world. So to provide those dollars, the U.S. deregulated financial services and encouraged borrowing. So by the mid-1990s, there were reports of dogs, prisoners, dead people, all being issued credit cards. That's a far cry from the experience of the 1970s, where getting a credit card was a sign one had made it. So the expansion of consumer credit and household debt was at one time a big problem solver for the United States and for world economies. Yes, it was. Without that expansion of debt, the U.S. would have needed to greatly expand transfer payments to lower-income households and tax wealthier ones. And taxing the wealthy would have undermined the supply-side revolution that was designed to rid the economy of inflation problems of the 1970s through encouraging investment. When did household debt become a problem instead of a problem solver? Well, the fatal decision was to expand and encourage mortgage syndication, which reduced the cost of refinancing homes. Before the mortgage industry expanded, as you noted in your opening remarks, getting a second mortgage was considered a sign of trouble, and tapping home equity was unheard of. But as mortgage servicing and refinancing infrastructure expanded, it became easy and commonplace to constantly withdraw equity from one's home. As long as home values didn't fall, the system worked rather well. But when housing became a bubble, in part due to loose underwriting standards and in part due to the scarcity of risk-free debt for repo, the system could not be sustained. As home prices fell, homeowners found they were underwater or owed more than the value of their home. The great financial crisis led to years of retrenchment by households, leading to a weak recovery, rising populism, and the underbuilding of residential real estate. Bill, what's the state of household debt today in the United States? Well, there's been some improvement. In comparing the overall household debt to after-tax income, the level of debt is currently about 96.5%. Now, that's down from a peak of 129.4% in 2007, but above the recent low in early 2021 of 84.4%. Are today's levels high enough to worry about? Well, that determination is trickier than it appears. 
Early in my financial services career, I was a country risk analyst, and we were always trying to establish various metrics that would determine solvency. However, we kept running into situations where a country would have high debt levels but continue to service their debts, whereas other nations with had less debt would end up defaulting. So establishing how high is too high is something of an art. Another issue is making the right comparisons. Debt levels are a balance sheet item, which is presented as a number at a specific moment in time. Such items are referred to as stock measures. Income and GDP, on the other hand, are flow measures, and in accounting come from the income statement. Ideally, to scale debt, it's better to use two stock variables instead of comparing it to a stock versus flow measure. To address this issue in our report, we compare household debt to household cash. Subtracting the two gives us a measure we refer to as net debt, or the level of debt that remains if all the cash were used to extinguish the debt. And, on top of that, for the first time since 1990, net debt became negative in late 2020. That would suggest that we have addressed the debt overhang problem that triggered the great financial crisis. Did pandemic relief help people get out of debt? Well, it would appear so. Before the pandemic, net debt was running around $2.5 trillion. Will rising interest rates now worsen the problem? Well, actually, in theory, no. If all the debt could be liquidated by using cash, the level of interest rates would become immaterial. But that assumes all households are equal, and they are not. Right, Bill. Your research did uncover some real differences in consumer debt held by the different income levels. Tell us about them. Well, for the top 10% of households, their cash levels exceed their liabilities to the tune of over $7 trillion. In other words, their net debt is actually negative. For the middle 40, their debt levels have declined during the pandemic, reaching a low in the third quarter of 2021, but have been slowly rising ever since. But for the bottom 50%, net debt has actually steadily increased. Bill, how do these differences in debt levels influence the direction of the economy? Well, for example, rising interest rates and tighter credit conditions will adversely affect the bottom 50%. And we're already hearing of weaker retailing activity for companies that predominantly service that part of the income bracket. On the other hand, for those industries that service the wealthy, these households have never been in better shape. For the middle 40%, they are better positioned to weather rising rates, and it may take much higher rates for this group to curtail their spending. Is the present level of household debt worrisome for the stock market? Mostly no, but partly yes. Mostly no, because the largest holders of equity are the top 10% of households. Currently, about 80% of equity is held by that group, compared to 18% for the middle 40 and only about 1% for the bottom 50. So given how much cash is in households most likely to hold stocks, not only is the debt issue not bad for stocks, it may actually be the most favorable factor. But partly yes, because the fact that the that weaker spending from the bottom 50% could drag the economy into recession, that's a negative for equity markets. Bill, do you anticipate any government action, say forgiveness of student debt, which could improve the debt status of lower income households? Sadly, no. It is not obvious where the largest holders of student debt are in this array, but it's quite possible it's in the middle 40% or maybe some is even in the top 10%. 
Although the majority of borrowers are not getting professional and graduate degrees, 38% of the money borrowed goes to those students. In fact, the heaviest borrowers are for professional degrees, law, medicine, and business. These graduates are probably in the upper income brackets. Improving the debt situation to the bottom 50% probably simply requires higher pay. But in a system where debt is easy to get, that may not fix the problem. There are behavior issues in play as well. I'm old enough to remember mortgage-burning parties. When a house was paid off, the homeowner would celebrate by holding a party to burn the loan documents, meaning the borrower really owned the home free and clear. I haven't heard of such a thing for years. For those over 70, mortgage debt represents 66% of their outstanding liabilities. We suspect they probably have more equity than debt, but that post-depression fear of debt has eroded. And thus, it may mean that addressing the debt situation may require a change in social mores. Well, Bill, to sum up, can we say that you're not particularly worried about today's levels of household debt overall, but it's still something to keep a close eye on? My greater concern is that the debt distribution is politically troublesome. For lower-income households, debt service can become something of a hamster wheel, which is hard to get out from under. And the more hopeless it becomes, the more people look for radical solutions. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler. 